0: Lord, amen. Well, if you got your Bibles this evening, we'll be turning to the book of Luke, chapter 10. Uh, verse, we'll be reading from verse 25 to 29. If you're there, say amen. reads in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 29. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, this is Jesus speaking, what is written in the law? How readest thou? And the lawyer answering said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, With all thy strength and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do and thou shalt live. But he, the lawyer, willingly willingly to justify himself, said unto Jesus, Who is my neighbor? With the help of the Lord tonight, I believe the Lord has a word for us. Uh, God wants to speak to us about our neighbor, who is our neighbor in light of making disciples. Uh, The thought that the Lord laid upon my heart is my neighbor, my responsibility. Why don't you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, for the privilege, Lord, to be in your house again. Lord, we thank you for your word of truth, your word, God, that's able to enlighten us, that's able, God, to uh, set us on a path, Lord God, that is pleasing to you. And I pray, Lord God, that you would speak to us, Lord, as we heard this morning, God, that there be good, that there be good ground, Lord God, in this congregation, that your word would penetrate, that your seed will be sown, God, that it bring forth fruit. We ask, Lord God, that you'd have your way out in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. My neighbor, my responsibility. Uh, to give some context to our opening text In Luke chapter 10 uh, starts off with Jesus sending out their 70 disciples in pairs and he gives them some particular instructions of how they were to behave and conduct themselves on their mission. Uh, What they were to take with them for the journey, how they were to interact with certain people and who to look out for when they entered a house or a city. Uh, Mainly the son of peace, somebody of influence. So if you could give the gospel to that person, it'll be easier for others to receive the gospel. And how to respond when one accepts and receives them, and when one rejects them with of the, uh, because of the good news. He told them that when they reject you, don't take it personally. Uh, they're not rejecting you, but rather they're rejecting me. They're rejecting my word. And the Bible says that he gave them power to heal in his name and authority over demons in his name. When they servant Returned from their mission or day or work experience, if you want to use modern terms, um, they were overjoyed and full of zeal and couldn't wait to share with their master what they had experienced. Every one of them had a unique experience and they couldn't wait to share with Jesus uh, what took place on their mission. Jesus, in receiving these amazing reports, he tells the disciples that they were blessed to have witnessed what they saw and experienced because many prophets and kings of old desired to see and experience these things, but they were unable to. While in conversation with the disciples about their experiences on the field, witnessing and ministering to people about the kingdom of God, a certain lawyer interrupts the conversation. The lawyer in hearing their conversation about the kingdom of God and how Jesus was saying that having your name written in the Lamb's book of life, was more important than the signs of wonders, he got curious and interrupted the conversation. and He wanted to know what it would take to inherit the kingdom of God, what it would take to have his name written in the Lamb's book of life. So the lawyer stood up and asked the question, what must I do to inherit the kingdom or eternal life? Jesus replied and said to the lawyer, well, friend, what is written in the law? How do you read the law? How do you read the book of Moses, the Old Testament? The lawyer responds that we need to love God with everything that we are, and love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus replies, "You've said it well. That's correct." And if you read in between the line of the passage, it seems, and I can imagine that the lawyer was a person that loved ticking the boxes. He wanted to make sure that he was doing the right thing. Okay, I love God. I pay my tithes. I attend church. I give to the poor here and there. I'm respectful. Uh, I'm a good and upright citizen before men and before God. Well, love God, that's easy. Tick the box. I've done everything that the uh, the law would have me to do. Now, he just wanted to figure out who his neighbor was. He wanted that to, de- to be defined for him, that he may know what to do and go about it. So in verse 29, he, the Bible says that willingly to justify himself. He wanted to justify himself. I said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Uh, Reading in between the lines, Jesus, I can imagine him saying, Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. Have a seat. Let us look closely to who your neighbor is. Luke chapter 10, verse 30 to 37, the conversation continues. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by the other side of the road. Likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him, and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him, and bound up his wound, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his uh, own beast, or a donkey or a horse at the time, and brought him into an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which, then Jesus asked the question back to the lawyer, Which, now of these three, do you think was neighbor to him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Jesus replies, and said unto him, Go and do, likewise. Now, it's a profound question that he asked, and it's a very, uh, a great question and worth considering. Who is my neighbor? There is a couple of things for us to consider in this parable regarding the answer Jesus gave to the question, "Who is my neighbor?" If I grab that second slide, please, Sophia. Who is my neighbor? Uh, our neighbors can be anyone, meaning they can be anyone from all walks of life. There is no confining box that we can restrict our neighbors into, meaning your neighbor may or may not look like you, they may or may not have the same interest as you, or historical upbringing, ethnicity, class as you and I, and that is very much okay. We are all unique in our own ways. Jesus said there was a certain man. He didn't give him an identity. He just said there was a certain men, And that's important for us to understand. The second thing is that everyone of us are on a journey called life. And we are and will experience all manner of things and will meet all manner of people. And on this journey, we will face all manner of circumstances and situations. Uh, and you and I may find ourselves in the shoes of those presented in the story depending on the choices we make in life. Either the man in need, who is beaten half to death, or the priest, or the Levite, or the Samaritan. The third thing that we need to make note of, it's interesting that Jesus happens to include in the parable a Levite and a priest. Jesus didn't just make up stories for the sake of making up stories, but there was a point to it. So when you look closely to who these two characters are, he identifies them, a Levite and a priest. The Levitical tribe or priesthood represented the highest moral standard or status in the Jewish community and culture. If you're from the Levite clan, you were automatically held in a certain regard. Because the Levites were a tribe of Israel who were the descendants of Levi, one of the 12 sons of Jacob. Um, And they didn't have a portion, they didn't have a a land uh, that was given to them, but rather they were chosen people that were going to be in service of God, to God and to the people. Uh, The priests of Israel were a group of qualified men from within the tribe of Levi who had responsibility over the aspects of the tabernacle or the temple worship later on. All priests were to be Levites according to the law, but not all Levites could be priests um, if they didn't meet the criterias of being a priest. The Levites were musicians, gatekeepers, guardians, temple officials, charges, craftsmen, and so on. And so you read in the Psalms, it says there's, uh, the sons of Kohan brought musics and so forth. So they were all part of uh, the Levitical tribe. Um, the priests were from the tribe of Levi. And had to meet certain physical and age qualification in order to serve in the priesthood. In addition, they had to remain ceremonially clean to perform their duties before a holy God. The priests served as mediators between the Israelites and God. They were the ones who performed animal sacrifices on behalf of the people. It was only the priests who were permitted to enter the holy place in the tabernacle and later in the temple. Uh, Point six, don't need to make, uh, that we need to, um, so in a modern example, for if you're not familiar with the Old Testament Levitical priesthood, a Levite would be a lay minister or a devout Christian today, and the priest would be someone like an ordained minister, such as a pastor of a church. Uh, both the Levite and the priest were held in high regard in their society, as they both represented godliness and high moral standards. They were the kind of people that everybody automatically expected to do the right thing. And when the certain individual in the story, the man that got beaten and everything got stolen off him, when he found himself in a situation that nearly cost him his life, he was in desperate need. Uh, He was beaten so badly that he couldn't get himself up uh, and make it to the nearest uh, town or help. When he thought he might die on the side of the road, uh, a Levite appeared and he simply passed by him and in disappointment, he hit him hard. Maybe he thought, surely I am going to die here. And after a while, he may have heard some footsteps approaching um, with all the little strength that he had left in him. Maybe began to focus on this person that was coming towards him, trying to uh, make out this person. And maybe I'm just imagining this. So as, he, as this person was approaching me, maybe he finally came into focus and perhaps he was able to tell what type of person this was due to the type of uh, attire this person was wearing. That's a plea. That's, I know what type of attire that is. That's a priest. Surely, surely, surely he must help me. Thank God a priest is coming my way. To his disappointment, the figure that was a sign of hope and relief quickly changed direction and passed on on the other side of the road as they pretended not to have noticed him. And all of us here, let's just be honest, we've done that before. We saw somebody and all of a sudden we're like, yeah, I'll pretend. you know. Or sometimes we put in our headphones and pretend that we're busy or get on our phones, we're texting and we walk away because we don't want to deal with the situation presented before us. When all hope was lost, help came from the most unlikely individual, a Samaritan. In the Gospel of John chapter 4, it reveals to us that there was some sort of bad blood between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritans were looked down upon by the Jews because the Samaritans were half Jews and half Gentiles. And so they looked down upon them as second-class Jews. The man in need in the story was not given an identity. He was neither a Jew nor a Samaritan. Some may speculate that he was a Jew because he was coming from Jerusalem, heading to Jericho. But anyone could have made that journey, coming from Jerusalem, going to Jericho. But anyhow, his identity is irrelevant. Because both the priest and the Levite failed to keep the commandments of God. Who of all Jews knew the, Le- the, Le- the Levitical writings better than anyone. Because that book was specifically... Written for them. Leviticus nineteen thirty three to thirty four says, And if a stranger sojourn in thee, in thy land, or in your land, ye shall not vex him. You shouldn't trouble them, just leave them alone. But the stranger that dwells with you, you shall be he shall be unto you as one born among you, and thou shalt love him as thyself. For ye were strangers in the land of Egypt, I am the Lord your God. So, according to the, Le, to the Levitical writings, the priests were told and instructed that the strangers that come through your land, you should treat them like one of your own. And I'm sure that these, the, the Levite and the priest, would have known that they knew that, but anyhow decided to bypass the man and not help him. According to the law, according to the scriptures, the man's identity or what class or social or ethnic group he belonged to was irrelevant. The Levite and the priest miserably failed God to keep the, the law of God and robbed God of the opportunity to demonstrate his love and compassion to that individual because the Levites and the priests served as mediators between man and God. Again, God is not limited. God is not limited as we heard this tonight. God is not limited. God has all power. And so God uses a Samaritan to show compassion on this man, who by birthright, according to the law, was disqualified in ever serving God in any formal way, according to the Old Testament, like the Levites. But God used them because he was willing. The Bible says that he had compassion upon the man that was beaten half to death. The agents, the Levite and the priest whom God had chosen were meant to be the ones to represent him and minister to his people and every stranger that came into their land, but they failed miserably. They failed to uphold the law. And I thank God for the New Testament. I thank God today that salvation, the covenant with God is not limited to a certain group of people, but it's freely available to everyone that will believe, to everyone that will obey the good news. For God so loved the world that he gave of himself that whosoever believes in him will have eternal life. I thank God today that we have the opportunity to be born again of water and of the Spirit. That our sins are washed away in baptism in the name of Jesus. And we have the privilege and honor to receive the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And having a holy God residing in us. And According to the word of God, when we are spiritually born again, we are born into the family of God, and when we are born into the family of God, we inherit promises, privileges, and also responsibilities. By our, by our spiritual birthright, we inherit the privilege of being part of the priesthood. First Peter chapter two, verse five, nine and 10 says, "Ye also are lively stones, are built up a spiritual house." unholy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Verse 9, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, unholy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in the time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained Mercy. And we ought to thank God for that, that He has mercy for us, that salvation is available to every single person here today. Like the Old Testament Levites, the priesthood of God is our inheritance. Joshua eighteen seven says, But the Levites have no part among you when God was talking about the land allocation of the Old Testament when they conquered the land of Canaan. The Levites have no part among you, for the inheritance, for the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. And with that inheritance, there are responsibilities that came with that. There are many corresponding responsibilities between the Old Testament priesthood and the New Testament priesthood. And when you put it all together, uh, the two overarching responsibilities of the priesthood were to save, were, number one was to serve God, And number two was to serve their fellow men. And it was surprising to me when I was looking into this that the summary of the two arching responsibilities are similar to the great commandment upon which all the law hang. Love God with all your heart, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. One of the fascinating things about the book of Leviticus is how many times the word clean and unclean Pops up. Clean, unclean, clean, unclean. Um, in order for us to, in order for the priests to minister effectively to God in the Old Testament uh, and to their fellow neighbor or their fellow uh, Jews, they had to be ceremonially clean. They were, if they were unclean, they were limited in their capacity to serve in their duties. For us in the New Testament, walking in the Spirit or being spirit-led, or being sensitive to the voice of God is very important. If we are to be effective in ministering to our neighbors and making disciples unto the Lord, we must have a sensitivity to the voice of God. We must hear from God. And the parable, the Samaritan didn't just stop at checking whether the man was okay. He didn't just stop at dropping him off at the nearest care center, he took on the responsibility of taking care of the man until he was whole and well the, par- the parable tells us that he got personal and dressed his wounds with oil and wine he made sure to take care of, of his immediate need ensuring that the man was stable enough to make the journey to the nearest inn and when, where he could receive optimal care in a controlled environment and he made sure uh, that his post-treatment was also taken care of by letting, by letting the innkeeper know that he will be back to take care of any expenses that, uh, that will occur in looking after this man. Loving your neighbor and caring for them, it's something that if not all of us, most of us are already doing. And making a disciple unto the Lord, there is no much of a difference. The only difference between uh, making a disciple and having a duty of care for your neighbor is being intentional. We have to be intentional. For some of us, it's natural for us to have a duty of care for our neighbor. Whether it's somebody that needs roadside assistance, we'll pull over, help them change a tire, or help them out to, or tow them to the next uh, mechanic. Calling up, checking up on somebody, making a meal for somebody, making a hospital visit, and the list goes on. Some of us, we already do those things. Um, I believe the Lord would have us to be intentional in light of our vision, go make disciples. In light of our vision, go make disciples. Who is your neighbor? Your neighbor is simply someone that is in need. And there are many people in need of the truth of God that's able to set them free. Your neighbor is somebody who is in need of compassion and the love of God that is unconditional and incorruptible. For the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us, according to Romans chapter 5. Our neighbors are people who have a physical and spiritual need. And we, the church, God's people, God's chosen priesthood, have the means to help meet those needs. The church is a hospital. Jesus is the great physicians. And we are the nurses. Like our modern hospitals, physicians and nurses have a moral obligation and a code of conduct to treat any patient that comes through their doors. Irrespective of who they are, whether or not they have insurance, they ought to treat them. The church, our obligation is to the lost souls of this world. And there is no clocking off or clocking out. It's an everyday 24-hour job in caring and having compassion for the lost souls of this world. But God has called us to help and disciple those that are in need of salvation, those that realize they're in need of salvation, Like the medical profession, physicians are not allowed to force treatment on people that don't want it. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells his disciples a similar principle. If people or the house you attempt to minister do not receive you, nor the good news, shake the dust off your feet and move on to those that are willing to accept and receive it. The main focus or the mission of the New Testament church is to go into the whole world and make disciples of every nation, every tribe, every ethnicity. One of the interesting things that Pastor mentioned in his sermon a while back on who is your neighbor, I was it's like, Lord, Pastor already preached about this. What do you mean? me to go back and preach it again? But as much as I wanted to resist, the Lord kept on uh, prompting me to preach again on this um, passage. I guess maybe two sides of the same coin. Pastor mentioned that We live in a multicultural country, in society. And one of the advantages uh, in living in a multicultural country is that the world has come to us. People from all nations and tribes are on our doorsteps. And if you look around this room right now, that's evident of that. As Pastor Gavin mentioned this morning, we we have over 20 nationalities presented here. Sometimes we can have biases, assumptions about people due to the evidence presented to us and Ananias is a perfect example in the Old in the New Testament when God told him Ananias I want you to go and pray for this man called Saul um, calling him is going to be one of my disciples and Ananias turns to the Lord and he says don't you know who this man is have you not seen what he has been doing in Jerusalem And now he's come up to Damascus to torment and torture and kill and imprison all the Christians. But God tells Ananias, go to him for he is a chosen vessel. And thank God that Ananias was able to put his biases aside. And he went to Saul and said, Saul, the Lord has come that I may pray for you that you may receive your sight. I wonder if Ananias never responded to the call of God, the prompt of God, if we would be reading... Of Paul in the New Testament today and it's important for us to put aside our fears and our assumptions whether or not somebody is going to accept the good news it's not our job for us to make them accept it our job is to share but let God do the rest sometimes what we see the assumptions we come up with are not exactly what's going on in the inside When Ananias heard about Paul, when he got, you know, picked to minister to Paul, I was like, couldn't you find somebody else? This guy is dangerous. I don't even want to be in the same room as him. But God was dealing with Saul. God was dealing with Saul long before he came and called Ananias to minister to him. Like Sister Emma ministered this morning, sometimes we don't know what the seed is doing below the ground. We may see some stones, we may see some thorns. you're like, God, forget about it. That that, that soil of ground, it's, it's useless. It's not going to flourish. It's not going to bring about fruit. But if we just obey the voice of God and put away our fears and our assumptions and just do what he has called us to do, we'll be amazed with what what we get to experience and see. I believe the Lord wants us to understand that our neighbor, the next person that God puts on our journey, could be anyone. Anybody from all walks of life. People that we may have a lot in common with. People we may not, we may have nothing in common with. But regardless, God has made them our neighbor that we may minister to them. It's been inspiring and insightful being part of the discipleship uh, session that Brother Rowan has been hosting and running. In our recent chapter of the book, we've been reading uh, followed to lead the journey of a disciple maker. The author writes something very interesting, and I quote. He says, I know people who have moved dozens of times. When we when we choose a neighborhood to buy a home in, we typically research good property values, uh, investigate the home associations that uphold uh, those property values, check out the schools, whether or not our kids will like them. Notice how convenient the shopping is, how far we have to travel. Um, and, of course, check out the neighbors, whether they're good or bad. Once all the dynamics are suited to our liking, we purchase the home. We move in. When we choose a neighborhood, you choose your neighbors. But once you move in, you cannot choose your neighbors anymore. Your future neighbors will choose you. In much the same respect, when we choose a local church, we, we inspect and check out everything, location, location attitude, doctrine, pastor, leadership, opportunities, the culture of the church, etc. When we find a church that merits our approval, we move in. We begin to attend the church, we begin to become members of that church. But once we choose a church, we no longer have a say about who the new neighbors are going to be. And the author goes on to say, I like thinking of a i lost people as my neighbors. Somehow calling them neighbors removes some of the fear and anxiety that typically accompanies the pursuit of a new relationship. Our neighbors are people that God has placed on our journey or path that we can influence and make an impact on their eternal destination. Our neighbors are our brothers and sisters that are missing or struggling with their walk with God. And the concept of who your neighbour is can suddenly become overwhelming because there are so many people with so many needs. And unfortunately, we can't minister to everyone at the one time. It's physically impossible. It will be physically exhausting and our resources and the capacity to help will diminish rapidly. If I could please have that diagram up, please, Sophia. An easy way to understand who and when to minister to, or who our neighbor is, uh, we should operate like a radar. Uh, we must have our spiritual radar on, as it were. Uh, hence, why walking in the Spirit is very essential. If we are to minister effectively to fulfill the will of God in our lives and the lives He's calling us to impact, when we are spiritually tuned in with God, he will cause people to pop up on our radar. Whether it's a thought of somebody, maybe going by your day and the thought comes, oh, I wonder how so-and-so is doing. Oh, I wonder if I should invite my colleague to church today or an outing or catch up for a coffee or invite them over for dinner. Just simple thoughts like that. And... That's how we should operate because otherwise it would be overwhelming because there's so many people, so many needs that we see every day. But God didn't call you to meet those needs even though we see them. But at a particular time, God will place people in your lives on your journey to minister to. Our neighbors are everyone. They are our families, the church family, our colleagues, our friends, people we know in our respective communities and social groups, and even the strangers we have never met before, if we'd all stand this evening. I hope and I pray that this challenges and blesses you. I believe this is a loving and caring church. And I believe God is not rebuking, but rather I believe he desires for us to amplify our sensitivity and compassion towards our neighbors in the church and outside the church. He desires for us to increase our sensitivity to Him, that we that He may lead us to people who are in need. Lately, the Lord has been pulling and calling for us, as a body and as individuals, to go deeper. Every time in the tongues and interpretation, we hear it: "Draw closer to me, go deeper." Even when the charms came and ministered to us, the Lord, through the messages, they were talking about expanding our tent. Increasing our capacity. Walking in the spirit. Understanding that there is grace that is sufficient for us all. Because we're human. We'll fail. We'll miss the call. We'll we'll mess up. But God says, keep going. Keep taking the journey. I'll put more opportunities for you to minister and to be more effective. And I want to leave us with this last quote from Galatians chapter 6 verse 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. Who is your neighbor? That neighbor is your responsibility. Why don't you just pray with me this evening. Lord Jesus.